All right. Hey, we've been, um, we've been journeying through Jeff's holiday frustrations um, the past few weeks, and I've been sharing with you uh, just that, my holiday frustrations. And you may recall the first uh, frustration, um, well, who remembers? I misplaced my, I misplaced my Christmas lights, for my replacement lights for my tree. Very frustrating. Uh, then uh, last week, my frustration was oddly shaped packages, and I had to wrap one this week that was oddly shaped. Very frustrating. The one for this morning, though, is curly ribbon. <laughs> so there's this ribbon that apparently you can run some scissors over, and it goes from straight to curly. My mom was fantastic at it. My wife is a master of the curly ribbon. I try it, and it just gets straighter. <laughs> now, I know there's a technique and all that, and on occasion, I get it right, and it curls, and I don't know why. This is the frustrating part. It goes perfect, and then so I'll have maybe two curly ones and one straight dangling one. Master of disaster. So, so you can imagine that I, when it comes to wrapping stuff, um, the greatest invention ever is the sticky bow where you just peel the thing off and you stick it right on. I mean, there's no need for curly ribbon when you've got the sticky bow. So, uh, I don't know. You may have your own frustrations related to the holidays, but those, those are uh, some of mine. I have one other, sugar. Sugar is very frustrating because everything that comes to my house, into my house, people are being very generous and they give gifts of, that they've put a lot of time and effort into and it's all sugar, and it uh, tastes fantastic, but it's not good. It doesn't, anyway, that's a whole other thing. All right, so hey, we've, we've been journeying through this Christmas story, and we've talked about, if you remember, back at the first of the month, it was Zachariah and Elizabeth, and their message from the angel regarding the baby that they would have, the, the promised child that they would have, and that uh, became John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, his public ministry. And then uh, last week we talked about Joseph and Mary and some of the challenges uh, with those two central characters uh, to this Christmas story that even within the songs we've sung today, I was reflecting uh, on some of what we've heard sung and what we sang. Uh, some of those parts of the story uh, come through where we're reminded of the central parts of the story, but how much more life there is happening within those parts of the story that, that often we don't think about. And I think that's true with our, the part of the story that we want to deal with this morning, and, and it's the story of the shepherds. And we think about these shepherds, and, and, and so I want us to consider uh, this this morning as we, as we think about this part of the story, that if we could go back to the first century and, and wonder what does... What was the role of the shepherd? How were they thought about within the society and within the culture that they lived? And, and how, did that, how does that play into the story, the Christmas story? And so we, we recognize that uh, these shepherds were, as Scripture tells us, they were out in the fields. This was a, a blue-collar job. It was a very necessary job. It was something that needed to happen, but it was not the glamorous, high-profile necessarily even highly regarded career, even in the first century. 
And so they're out in the field, and, and for them, what began as a very regular, ordinary night took an incredible turn uh, for them. And so they were, they were looking uh, to an, their, their graveyard shift. They were out there. They were doing their thing. Maybe there was a fire. Maybe they were telling stories. Whatever was happening, and then, man, it, it all changed in an instant what happened with them. And so we want to look at that uh, story and see if there's anything for us uh, this morning. So in Luke chapter 2 is where we see the story of the shepherds. It's a part of the Christmas story. And in fact, you will probably hear it again this evening as we share the Christmas story together. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And this is what it says, very familiar. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Now I'm going to stop right there. There's that word again. Fear. We talked about it last week with Mary and Joseph. We talked about it with Zechariah. This has been a central part of this story. In fact, it seems to me in, within Scripture, and I alluded to this last week, that this command to fear not may be the most uttered command in all of the Bible. I haven't done the research on that, but I think it's probably fair to say it's going to be up there, that this is a command more than any other that people hear, and that is to fear not. And so when we think about that and we think about the story of Zechariah and Mary, let me remind you what happened with Zechariah. In Luke chapter 1, it says that Zechariah was in the temple doing his work and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Later on in Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes to Mary says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. So this was a part of when, when an angel shows up, it, it appears to me that that is the, the natural response, that there's fear that comes upon people. But these shepherds, Not only were they in the presence of this angel with this message, but it says that there was a multitude of the heavenly host. So their campfire became an incredible experience of God's presence or the presence of these angels around them with a message of good news. So let's look again at Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So first big idea for this morning is this. And I really want us to land on this this morning. Why why the shepherds? Why why the shepherds? uh, uh, Among all of the other people that this message could have gone to, why the shepherds? Have you ever considered or wondered why the the news of the birth of the Savior of the world went first to shepherds? We've already said this was a 
minimum wage, blue collar, while a very necessary job, not necessarily a one with great reputation, why this message, this most important of all messages, why to the shepherds? So this morning I want to suggest that God decided to make a statement to the world by who he decided to send this good news to. God was making a statement. Because here's what I believe, and I'm sure most of you believe this as well. God doesn't, God is sovereign, right? God is in control of what happens. So it's not like I'm thinking about in time travel movies when someone travels from one time to another and they show up, they don't really have a choice of where they show up or what's happening when they show up. They just plop into time as it was. But that's not what's happening here. God didn't just randomly send the angel to earth and say, hey, whoever shows up or wherever you land, that's who I want you to tell. I believe God intended for those shepherds to be the first one that the angel spoke to. So the question becomes, why? Why those men? Why those shepherds? Why this message to those people? And so I believe that God was making a statement about who received the good news first. And this statement is that it goes to the lowly and the humble of society, those that were out in the fields, those that are on the margins, as opposed to the influential, powerful people in the, in the city, in the center of the city or in the center of the government. Now, the question would be, why? Why? This Savior bringing, this message bringing the good news of the Savior, why to the lowly and the humble? It's for all people. We'll get to that in a second. It's for all people. Why not start with the most powerful? Why not start with the rich that have the resources to get the message out more quickly, perhaps, or with more influence? Why the lowly, the humble, the blue-collar? I think there's something to be said about that. And I also believe that it's a biblical theme. So go with me, at least in your mind, back to the Old Testament. When Samuel was sent by God to anoint David as king in 1 Samuel, Samuel goes to David's house. His family's there. And David's father rolls out, I think it was seven sons, for Samuel to check out from the oldest on down. And when the first son rolls out, Samuel says, this is him. Tall, strapping, good-looking guy. This is certainly the king. And what's God say in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7? says, it's not him, Samuel. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so we're reminded that from the very beginning all the way through our scripture, all the way through the story, it's not the rich, it's not the powerful, it's not the best looking, it's not the the most influential. God has in his heart, has a place in his heart for the poor, for those on the margin, for those that do not have the level of influence that others have. Later in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want you to hear uh, Samuel's words, God's words, about David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 says this, Now therefore, 
Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have, and have cut off all your enemies before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your, your throne shall be established forever. I'm reminded that one of the reasons why I believe God chose the humble, those that were out on the margins, is because of their recognition, their ability to recognize their need right off the bat for God. Often we get caught up in powerful positions, in being able to exert influence and get what we want. It's become our way. But it's not God's way. It's not God's way. It's not how he intended the world to be. And so when we think about this story of Jesus, we're reminded that it starts with the humble, the powerless, those with less influence. The second thing I want to say about that is that God became one of us. This is the other part of the, the, the message, that God became one of us in a very humble way. He came as a child. William Barclay, in his commentary on Luke, says this. He, tells, he relates this little illustration. He says, There was a European monarch who worried his court by often disappearing and walking incognito amongst his people. When he was asked not to do so for security's sake, he answered, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. And so this is one of the greatest ideas of the Christmas story, isn't it? That God took on human form. That God recognized what our lives were like because he has lived it. He's experienced it. He knows what it's like to be human. And recently uh, on Facebook I came across um, a pastor friend of mine made this statement about Christmas, and, and, and I wanted to share this with you because I believe it, it really does, I believe, tie up this point for us. He said this, Christmas is more than a warm comfort. Christmas is a confrontation. In the birth of this vulnerable infant born to unimportant parents, God declares that the hope we're longing for doesn't come by way of coercive power and might, like the Caesars, but in the way of humility, sacrifice, and love. So when we think about the idea of greatness and the idea of how God chose to bring his son into the world, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, there's no room for these folks. What are they going to do? No, it was part of God's plan. The recognition that Jesus came humbly into an unimportant family, an, an average family, speaks to us. So the question I have is, why do we strive so much for influence? Why do we strive so much for power? Why do we strive so much to be able to coerce into people maybe thinking like we think, rather than with humility, with love, with grace, be able to live out our faith in front of them in the very same way that God has modeled it all the way through. All the way through. 
The second big idea uh, this morning is this. There are six big words in the statement that the angel made to these shepherds. And I want to land on these six words as we wrap up this morning. Because I think it says a lot about what we need to hear as we think about Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. The first two words of this are this. Good news. Good news, the angel said. And the Greek word there is euangelion. It's the word we get evangelism from. This idea that there is an anticipation, a, a good news story. It's, it's not unlike what some of us are anticipating even as we approach Christmas. Maybe even today for some of us. There's a gift that has our name on it. Or we have, we have bought a gift for somebody and we are just anticipating them opening it because we're excited about what it brings to them. It's something that they need. It's something that they've desired. And we're excited about being able to give something to them. That's what this good news should create in us. There's a good news story of what God has done in Jesus that changes everything. It changes everything. And this word that Luke used for good news, it appears in other places in Luke's writing, and it always refers to a verbal message. That this good news is something that we communicate verbally. Certainly we live it. Certainly it's part of the way we live our life. But it is a verbal message. It is good news of the message of who Jesus is. So why is it good news? What is so good about it? Well, it's the story of the gift of God's grace and love to us. It means forgiveness of our sin. It means a changed and transformed life. It means hope for the future. And it's good news for all people it's good news it's good news and it should be welling up in us it should create I, the, the only thing I can think about I guess and not everyone owns a dog many of you probably do own a dog and um, all I can think about is whenever I come home it's like I've come home for the first time I mean they are excited the dogs are excited to see me I mean, that kind of enthusiasm, and I can't, I can't figure it out. They're spinning in circles. Maybe it's because they're hungry. They know they're going to get something to eat. I don't know. I'm not going to try to get inside the dog's head. But I know that that dog is glad to see me. And so I think about when we, as believers, if we are going to buy this good news story, should it not create such, whatever, enthusiasm in us that it's just flowing out of us? That we're looking for an opportunity to talk about the transformation that has happened in our life. Good news. Second two words. All people. All people. Luke, who wrote this part of the Christmas story, he also wrote the book of Acts. And it's clear to me as I read Luke's gospel and I read the book of Acts that Luke understood that this message was more than just for the Jewish people. He recognized very clearly that it was for the Jews and the Gentiles, for us. It is not just a Jewish story. This is a story for all people. It's a major theme of what he wrote. It's a major theme of his gospel. It's a major theme of the book of Acts. And it's a central part of the announcement that came to the shepherds. And so Luke recognized that it was going beyond that day and age. It was going to go to future generations right down until today. It was good news for all people. 
Word number five, today. Today, the angel said, for unto you today is born. Why is that important? I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, this was a promise from generations before. They had been anticipating the day that the Messiah would be born. And now the angel shows up to the shepherds and says, hey, it's today. What you've been waiting for is happening today. But I don't think it's so much a, uh, a message about the past or the future or even us reflecting back even to that very first Christmas day. But I wonder if we could hear that very, very much freshly in our own ears and say, today unto you is a Savior born. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe you need to hear that today Jesus can be born into your life. Maybe you need to hear that today you can receive God's forgiveness in your life. And that you can start fresh a life of faith. It doesn't have to be, hey, when I get things figured out, when I get my life all together, it can be today. It can happen today. And God would say, today is the day. And then the sixth word, the last word I want us to land on is Savior. To proclaim Jesus as Savior in the Jewish context kind of had one look. But Luke is going beyond that. We've already pointed that out. So he's now talking about Savior in a much broader sense. This isn't just for a certain group of people. It was for all people. So to proclaim Jesus as Savior was to affirm that he was the universal deliverer. This, this person that people had been longing for. This, this person that was going to set all things right. This was the Savior that people were looking for. Savior. And today, maybe you need to hear that word as well. You think about a life that's out of control. Maybe your priorities are not where they should be. Maybe you recognize you've been trying to do it in your own wisdom and your own strength and your own ability, and it is not happening. You need to recognize your need for a Savior today. So these six words were not just important for the story that the shepherds heard, but they are important for us. They're important for us as we sit here this morning, as we think about being with our family, as we think about being with our neighbors and our friends, and as we think about moving through our community, not just on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Certainly, yes, those are opportunities for us to make a connection about the story, the Christmas story with what we believe, but it really is something that we take with us as we move into a new year. So when the shepherds, what the shepherds experienced that Christmas night was the good news of an arrival, the revelation of the long-awaited Savior, born just over the hills in Bethlehem. What had seemed so long in coming was now just a short walk away and would lead to fresh hope today and into the future. Everything could be different, not just because 
of what was happening that day, but what was going to continue to happen and because of the good news story, everything would be different now. Not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. And what we wait for today is a second arrival, right? We've, we've experienced now this coming. We celebrate the birth of our Savior, but ultimately we await his second arrival, his second coming. We anticipate that. That day is coming. That day is coming where we will maybe be around a campfire, camping someplace. I, I, I don't know. But we anticipate Jesus' return, just as the scriptures have said. So I conclude with this. The shepherds heard the story from the, or the, the, the announcement from the angels, and it says they hurried off. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Another version says, and they hurried off. They hurried off. So it needs to be pointed out that, and I believe it was in, in even one of the, the songs that we've sung, that there, there, was a, there comes a point of hearing and then doing. It's one thing to hear the message. The shepherds still had to do something with what they had heard. They could have said, man, that was great. And they could have gone back to their campfire stories and taken care of their sheep, but they didn't do that. They moved ahead. They, moved, they said, let's go see what has happened. And so I wonder how many times we hear and we even understand what God wants us to do. We hear and we understand what God wants us to do, but we delay action. We justify a reason. We think about why it's not necessary to do it now or it's not that important or there'll be another opportunity. But in much the same way the shepherds were given a message, we have been given that same message. And here's how it finishes. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. The shepherds found what they were looking for, just as the angel had told them. And when they experienced it, it changed their life. And so I wonder if we could think about this for a second. The shepherds started it. The shepherds started it. They were just ordinary people. Nothing special about them. But they were given an extraordinary message to proclaim. And so we think about we sitting here this morning. You may consider yourself a pretty ordinary person. Nothing special about you. I would agree. I would agree. I feel the same way about myself. I feel it's overwhelming, in fact, uh, when I think about the, the, the times I get to stand up here. I, I'm, there's part of me that says, hey, this, you're, you're not worthy. We're not. We're not. But we've been given an extraordinary 
message by an extraordinary God. And it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And that's what Christmas is about. It's a life-changing message. Yes, there's a lot of cultural trappings that come along with it. But when it comes right down to it, what Christmas means is that a Savior was born and, and wants to change our lives and is changing our lives. And it's a message that should be received with great joy. So this morning, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up here. We're going to finish. We're going to finish by celebrating who Jesus is. But before we do that, I want to pray with you. So would you join me as we pray? I don't want to assume this morning that everybody sitting here has come has come to know Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And so today, that's one of our key words, today, a Savior can be born into your life. And it's as simple as acknowledging that you need God. You recognize, God, I've done this in my own strength. I've tried to do it in my own ability. I fall flat. We recognize the rebellion in our own life that we've chosen to go our own way. And as we just humbly come before God and say, I need you. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Savior of the world. He can be born again in your life today. It's not just for rich people. It's not just for poor people. It's not just for good people. It's for all people. God wants to change your life as you come to him by faith. And God, we're grateful for this good news story, for, this, for the celebration of who Jesus is. The, the Savior born as a baby came humbly to, just to, into an ordinary situation so that we can identify with him. We thank you for that, for that good news this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And join me, join our worship team as we celebrate who God is. Sing it from your heart. Sing it from your heart. Repeat, repeat the sounding 
lets me go. I thought I, I I read my schedule wrong. It's 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 all me. It's on me. Hey, want to encourage you to be back this evening if you can. Uh, bring your family back at six o'clock. Also, want to say this: this morning, as you leave, if you need prayer or if you're working through a relationship with with Jesus, uh, something that you heard or saw this morning, just uh, working on your heart. I'll be right down here this morning. Would love to talk with you about that. Pray with you about that if you, if you have that need. Let me pray as we go. God, we are grateful. Uh, we rejoice in who you are and what you've done uh, in our life. And we, we thank you for the, the, the child that we celebrate at Christmas. As we move to celebrations today, will we keep you central to what this is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.